today to another podcast episode of Established in the Faith. This is Pastor James Pierce, and what a privilege it is to have all of you out there by SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Blueberry, and others. We're just so very pleased and happy to have you with us today. We're going to continue with our study in the book of Romans. I know it's going to be a blessing to you. If it is, like it and share it with others. You can also go over to EstablishedInTheFaith.com And if you go there, you'll find more information on how you can subscribe to this podcast as well. We love hearing from you, so please feel free to contact us with any questions and comments that you may have. Well, we're going to go on into our study now. Let me invite you to go ahead and take your Bible and turn with us, because I know it's going to be a blessing to you. in Romans chapter 11 tonight in the closing verses of Romans chapter 10 in verse 16 Paul tells us that not everyone is going to accept and obey the gospel he tells us down in verse 18 that pretty much all of the Jews in the Roman Empire had heard the gospel, they had heard about Jesus Christ, and they had made a decision one way or the other whether they were going to accept him or reject him. Sadly, most of the Jews had rejected Jesus Christ. In verse 19 of Romans chapter 10, Paul goes all the way back to Moses, some 1,600 years, and God would turn to a people who were no people. Speaking of the Gentiles, it was prophesied way back then. If you look at verse 20, But Isaiah is very bold and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. God dealt with Israel for 1,600 years. He gave them the word of God. They knew it. And yet, when Jesus Christ came on the scene, they didn't know the living word. They knew the written word, but they did not know the living word. When the Gentiles were presented with the gospel, of course, you know, the Gentiles could have cared less about God. They could have cared less about the things of Jehovah God. But yet when the gospel was presented to them, almost immediately they accepted Christ as their Savior. And it's the Gentiles that God used. Jesus said, upon this rock I will build my church. And that's where the church comes into play. So the question is this, has God just done away with Israel now? Since Israel has rejected Jesus Christ, what's the deal with Israel now? And that's the question that Paul asks in Romans chapter 11, verse 1. Romans 11 Verse 1, Paul said, I say then, has God cast away his people? God forbid. For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. So we see here that God has not cast away his people, but they have been set aside because of their rebellion. 
And the church has now taken their place as it pertains to the great work of God which is taking place in this world today. Now, this is what Paul talks about here in this chapter. As well, he talks about Israel being restored. Now, Paul doesn't go into a lot of detail as to how Israel is going to be restored, but the Old Testament and the prophets is full of how Israel will be restored. Now, there's a lot of prophecy here, and there's no way that I can stand here before you tonight and go through all the prophecies as it pertains to Israel, so I've just narrowed it down to seven great prophecies that pertain to how Israel is going to be restored. First of all, the scriptures here in the book of Romans, the first few verses here, point to the fact that Israel will be restored. Okay, Paul tells us that here. Isaiah prophesied that Israel would be outcast all over the world and would be gathered together for many nations, even the four corners of the earth. And that's found in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 11 through 12. And this has already happened. It started happening back in 1948 when Israel became a nation, and it is still happening today. Number two, after the resurrection rapture of the church, Israel will accept the Antichrist as their Messiah. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 43, he said, I am come in my Father's name, and you receive me not. If another, speaking of the Antichrist, shall come in his own name, him you will receive. Daniel also spoke about this coming time as well in Daniel chapter 8, verses 23 through 25, and uh, chapter 11, verses 35 through 45. When the Antichrist steps on the scene and makes his debut sometime after the resurrection rapture of the church, he'll come in peace. The sixth chapter of the book of Revelation, the first couple of verses, we see a rider on a white horse, and he's going forth conquering and to conquer. He has a bow with no arrows. And when the Antichrist comes on the scene, he will attempt to conquer the world by the means of peace. He's going to be inspired by Satan as no other human being in history. He'll sign a seven-year peace pact with Israel along with many other nations. That's Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. And he's going to bring peace to the Middle East. Now, this is going to grab the attention of the world like nothing else. His name is going to be on every uh, news program in the world at that time. Everyone's going to know about it. Because he has solved the Israeli-Palestinian problem, the Muslim situation that's going on over there right now. And Israel will announce to the world at that time 
that this is our Messiah. Fulfilling exactly what Jesus predicted. And the world's going to rejoice with Israel at that time. Three and a half years later, this is the third prophecy which will take place. At the midpoint of the tribulation period, the Antichrist will break that agreement with Israel. He'll attack and defeat Israel for the first time since she became a nation in 1948. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 8, verses 9 through 14. He'll take over the rebuilt temple. He'll take over Jerusalem. And that'll be his headquarters for a short period of time. He would completely destroy Israel at that time, but the Bible says that there are tidings out of the east and out of the north that will trouble him, and he'll go off to fight against those nations. You can read about that in Daniel chapter 11 and verse 44. The fourth prophecy concerning the restoration of Israel. Israel's going to have a terrible time. Jeremiah referred to it as the time of Jacob's trouble. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. As well, John on the Isle of Patmos talked about it in the 12th chapter of the book of Revelation. How that Israel will have to flee into the wilderness where she'll have a place prepared of God. The fifth prophecy pertaining to the restoration of Israel. After three years of fighting, the Antichrist is going to defeat those enemies that are to the east and to the north. Then he's going to pull all of his armies together to finally destroy Israel, who by that time will have filtered back into Jerusalem. This is what is known as the Battle of Armageddon, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 16. You can also read about it in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. Now Ezekiel gives a full account of what will take place at the battle of Armageddon. So if you have time to uh, read over those chapters, it'll do you some good. Satan knows what the Word of God says as it pertains to the restoration of Israel. He thinks that if he can empower the Antichrist to destroy Israel, then the Word of God will fall to the ground and he has won. But he will not succeed. Because the sixth prophecy tells us that Jesus is coming back. The second coming of Christ Zechariah prophesies that the Antichrist will kill two-thirds of the Jews and half of Jerusalem will be destroyed. You can read about that in Zechariah chapter 13, verse 8, as well as Zechariah 14, uh, verses 1 and 2. Israel at that time will then cry out to God for her Messiah like never before. Then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations as he fought in the day of battle. Zechariah 14, verse 3. Jesus will come back at the battle of Armageddon, the second coming. 
He'll come back riding a white horse. He'll speak the word and the Antichrist will be killed in that battle. He's going to rescue Israel. And guess what? You and I are also going to be coming back with him at that battle. Now, we're not going to do anything. We're just going to be sitting back watching the Lord do all the work. And you can read about that in uh, Zechariah 14 and 3, Revelation chapter 19. The seventh prophecy as it pertains to Israel being restored is the actual restoration. It's at that time, the battle of Armageddon, that Israel will recognize Jesus as their Messiah and they'll accept Christ as their Savior. Then they'll be restored to their rightful place as the leading nation in the world. Zechariah chapter 13 verses 1 through 6. Uh, as well as chapter 14, verses 8 through 21. Now, Ezekiel proclaims as to how Israel is going to function as the leading nation in the world during the kingdom age. And that's Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48. So Israel is going to be restored. And uh, Romans chapter 11, verse 2 Paul said, God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. God in eternity past predestined Israel for certain things. He predestined Israel to give us the word of God and to serve as the womb for the Messiah, who, of course, as you know, they rejected. He knew what most of Israel would do. But he chose them anyway. Why? Because of a remnant. A few who truly loved and served the Lord. And it was through this remnant, throughout the Old Testament, that God was able to work. God has not cast away his people, which he foreknew. What ye not, what the scripture saith of Elijah, how he maketh intercession to God against Israel, saying, Lord, they have killed thy prophets and dig down thine altars, and I am left alone, and they seek my life. This is taken from 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 10 and verse 14. At that particular time, the northern kingdom of Israel did not have a single righteous king to sit upon the throne for its entire 250 years of existence. You think about that. And the scripture doesn't go into any detail, but... Elijah said that they killed the prophets that God had sent unto them, and they had destroyed the altars of God. And when Elijah looked around, he didn't see nobody standing with him. He was left alone. And he felt like that he was the only one left in Israel who really loved God and served the Lord, and they were threatening to kill him. 
But in verse 4 of Romans chapter 11, Paul said, But what saith the answer of God unto him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. That's 1 Kings chapter 19 and verse 18. Although the things looked bad at that time for Israel, so bad that Elijah thought that he was the only one left, God knew the hearts of each one of his children. And he said, I've got 7,000. Hmm. There's always been a few who truly served the Lord. And because of that, the Lord did not cast them off. And he's not going to cast them off now either. Let's look at verse 5. Romans 11, verse 5. Even so then at this present time, also there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Let's take a look at that phrase there, even so at this present time. That refers to the time in which Paul was writing this book of Romans to the Romans. And the remnant that he referred to here consisted of a few Jews at that time who had accepted Christ as their Savior. But the same can be said of the present time that we're living in as it pertains to the modern church. There are a lot of people that go to church, but they're not truly saved. They're not truly serving the Lord as they should. Let's take a look at that phrase, according to the election of grace, for a minute. This is predestination, but it's not as many people think that it is. Many think of God as predestining some to go to heaven, while others he predestines to go to hell. No, he does not. If that was the case, then that eliminates our free will of choice, see. And Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, Dana, if you can, pull that up. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's plan of salvation is what was predestined. He did not predestine individuals. Okay, understand that. When we speak of predestination, it is not as it pertains to an individual going to heaven or hell. Predestination concerns God's salvation plan. It was predestined before the foundation of the world. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Now, let me take a look 
for a few minutes here at the elect of God. The elect of God. The elect of God consists of two parts. The first part has already been done. God sent His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into this world and to die for the sins of the world. With that, God has elected all people everywhere to be saved. That's part number one. That's on the part of God. God has elected everyone to be saved. But in order to be saved, it has to be reciprocated back. In other words, man has a certain responsibility in this. And what is that responsibility? To accept God's salvation plan, which is Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Once a person has done that, then they are the elect of God. We must elect His way of grace through faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9, you know it by heart. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And that leads us right into verse 6 of Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, verse 6, Paul said, And if by grace, then it is no more of works. In other words, we have to depend on the work that Jesus finished at the cross. There's nothing hanging out here for us to do. It's not our works. It's all about His finished work. Paul went on to say, otherwise grace is no more grace. When someone adds works to grace like some of the Jews did back in Paul's day. You had some who had accepted Christ, but at the same time they were saying, well, the little boy babies have got to be circumcised, and you've got to keep Sabbath days, and you can't eat this, and you can't eat that, and the list went on and on. Uh, Paul said if you do these things, then the cross of Christ has become of none effect. Unto you, And you can read about that in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 4. In other words, when you add works to grace, it nullifies grace. You've fallen from grace. You cannot do anything to save yourself other than simply put your faith in what Jesus said. Latter part of verse 6 of Romans chapter 11. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace, otherwise work is no more work. See, works depends on our personal strength, ability, talent, whatever the case, while grace depends on the strength and ability of the Holy Spirit. If you're trying to save yourself, the Holy Spirit's going to get out of the way and let you try, because the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, see. So as long as you're trying to save yourself, the Holy Spirit's going to stay out of your way. But once you come to the place that you realize, I 
can't do it. I can't save myself. And that is the hardest thing for a person uh, to come to grips with and understand they can't do it. But the moment a person realizes that and they say, Lord, I accept what you did at the cross. And Lord, you're going to have to help me with whatever the, the situation is. Then the Holy Spirit will step in and work. And that is grace. The divine influence of the Holy Spirit upon our hearts. And then its reflection will be seen in our lives. If the program today has been a blessing to you, we hope and pray that you'll share it with others. This podcast has been made possible by the prayerful and generous financial support of listeners like you to contact us or to contribute to this ministry. Go to establishedinthefaith.com, click on the Donate tab. All donations are safe and secure through PayPal. We look forward to hearing from you.